Good morning and welcome to 5 at 8. It's Tuesday, November 14th, 2023. And with me here is Linda Carlisle. I'm Mark Overman and here are the day's top stories. In this episode, we will talk about the latest news stories of the day. Researchers from Flinders University have conducted an experiment using artificial intelligence to generate health disinformation. The U.S. Energy Department has purchased oil to replenish the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. NVIDIA has announced its new H-200 chip, forced labor practices in Xinjiang, China, and the escalating Chinese aggression against Taiwan. Stay tuned for all the details. Story number one. Researchers from Flinders University in Adelaide, as reported by The Guardian, have conducted an experiment using artificial intelligence, AI, to generate over 100 blog posts of health disinformation in multiple languages. The researchers aim to test the effectiveness of AI safeguards in preventing the generation of misleading information. Within 65 minutes, they were able to produce 102 posts containing disinformation about vaccines and vaping targeting various groups including young adults, young parents, pregnant women, and those with chronic health conditions. The posts included fake patient and clinician testimonials, scientific-looking references, and realistic images. The study, published in JAMA Internal Medicine, highlights the ease with which publicly available AI tools can be used to generate misleading health information and calls for stronger industry accountability. Will you look at that, Linda? This news about AI being manipulated to spread disinformation is pretty alarming. I mean, we're all for technology and innovation, but this clearly shows that it can be a double-edged sword. It's concerning how easily the safeguards were bypassed to generate misleading health information. I mean, the very fact that within 65 minutes, over 100 blog posts were created targeting various vulnerable groups, that's not just alarming, it's downright dangerous. Absolutely. I mean, I'm all for freedom and minimal interference, but in this case, it's clear we need stronger accountability in the AI industry. We can't have people believing that vaccines are harmful, for instance. That could lead to a public health crisis. This isn't just about technology misuse. It's about public health, about real people's lives. We need a mechanism that allows for the reporting of concerning information and then action to eliminate issues. The researchers did their part reporting the concerns, But if there is no follow-up, then all is in vain. Exactly. I mean, we're not Luddites here. We know the immense potential AI has to transform society. But there's got to be a balance, right? The developers, the platforms, they need to step up and prevent this kind of misuse. And not just the developers, Mark. I think there's a role for legislation here, too. Existing legal frameworks might not be enough to handle these challenges. But... We also need to consider the societal consequences if such disinformation becomes widespread. It's a complex issue indeed. Right, Linda. It ain't a simple problem and it ain't gonna have a simple solution. But we gotta start somewhere, right? Maybe it's time to move from implicitly trusting everything we see to building an infrastructure of trust. I mean, it's a tough task, but it's gotta be done. Story number two. In a report from Reuters, it states that the U.S. Energy Department has purchased 1.2 million barrels of oil to replenish the Strategic Petroleum Reserve after selling a record amount last year. The oil was bought at an average price of $77.57 per barrel from two companies. The Biden administration conducted the largest ever sale from the reserve last year to stabilize oil markets and combat high pump prices. 
Due to rising oil prices, it has been challenging for the administration to buy back oil for the reserve. The Energy Department plans to continue purchasing oil on a monthly basis through at least May 2024. So, the U.S. has made quite a move here, buying back 1.2 million barrels of oil for the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, and at a lower price than what it sold for last year. It's an interesting strategy, isn't it? Selling at high prices and buying low reminds me of the stock market. Yes, Mark. This strategic move reflects how the U.S. is navigating the volatility of global oil markets. The sale last year was a response to soaring oil prices due to geopolitical disruptions, notably Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It seems the U.S. is trying to stabilize the market and keep gas prices in check. It's like a balancing act, isn't it? On one hand, the U.S. wants to maintain a healthy reserve for energy security. But at the same time, it doesn't want to pay too much for the oil. That's why they've raised the buyback price to $1.79 a barrel, up from the earlier range of $1.68 to $1.72. And the fact that major oil exporters like Saudi Arabia and Russia have cut back on production doesn't make the situation any easier. It drives prices higher, which in turn complicates efforts to replenish oil reserves. Right. And let's not forget about the timing here. The administration plans to continue these monthly purchases through at least May 2024. That's a long-term investment in the country's energy security. But it's also a bet that oil prices won't rise too much in the meantime. Well put, Mark. This situation underscores the strategic importance of maintaining adequate oil reserves. It's a hedge against global market disruptions that can be triggered by geopolitical events or decisions by major oil exporters. That's right. In the midst of all this, it's worth reflecting on how renewable energy alternatives could change the game. As we invest more in these technologies, we might see a shift in how nations manage their strategic reserves. That's a thought-provoking point, Mark. As we transition to a greener economy, strategies for energy security will inevitably evolve. It will be interesting to see how these dynamics play out in the coming years. Story number three. NVIDIA has announced its new H200 chip, which outperforms its current top chip, the H100, as reported by Reuters. The main improvement is the addition of more high-bandwidth memory, allowing for faster data processing. This upgrade will benefit AI services like OpenAI's ChatGPT, enabling them to provide quicker responses. The H200 chip has 141 gigabytes of high-bandwidth memory, compared to the H100's 80 gigabytes. NVIDIA has not revealed its memory suppliers for the new chip. Cloud service providers such as Amazon Web Services, Google Cloud, Microsoft Azure, and Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, along with specialty AI cloud providers CoreWeave, Lambda, and Vulture, will be among the first to offer access to the H200 chips. Where this new H200 chip from NVIDIA really shines, Linda, is in its impressive high-bandwidth memory. It's increased from 80 gigabytes in the previous H100 chip to a whopping 141 gigabytes. That's a significant leap forward in AI processing capabilities. It's going to make services like OpenAI's ChatGPT respond more quickly, improving efficiency across the board. That's true, Mark. However, we must consider the cost of this improvement. High bandwidth memory, as you know, is one of the most expensive components of a chip. And while faster responses might be beneficial for some applications, it may not make much of a difference for others. Is it truly worth the potential increase in cost? Ah, uh, but you're forgetting one key element, Linda. Competition. Micron Technology is working to become an NVIDIA supplier, and NVIDIA also buys memory from Korea's SK Hynix, 
Increased competition often leads to better prices. Plus, with giants like Amazon Web Services, Google Cloud, Microsoft Azure, and Oracle Cloud infrastructure set to offer access to H200 chips, the demand is certainly there. Well, Mark, I see your point, but playing devil's advocate here, are we not putting too much emphasis on speed? Yes, these tech giants are early adopters, but does the average consumer really need this much processing power? And are we not risking monopolizing the market by focusing on a single high-end supplier? Diversity in the market can drive innovation after all. Ha, you've got me there, Linda. But in this fast-paced world, I'm a big believer that speed is king. And while I do agree that diversity drives innovation, in the end, it's survival of the fittest. If NVIDIA's chips are the best, then they're the ones that should be on top. Competition will always exist, and that's how we keep evolving. Well, Mark, we'll just have to agree to disagree on this one. The technological advancements are certainly exciting, but I think we should also consider the broader implications on the market, consumers, and even our environment. But it's a fascinating discussion indeed. Story number four. Forced labor in Xinjiang, China, extends beyond the detention camps and includes various forms such as prison labor and state-sponsored labor transfers. These transfers, described as poverty alleviation tools by Beijing, involve moving unemployed individuals from rural areas to farms or factories within Xinjiang or other parts of China. Many of these labor transfer programs are linked to the cotton industry, as Xinjiang produces over 80% of China's cotton. While the Chinese government defends these programs, research and testimonies suggest that they are not voluntary and are associated with human rights abuses. The UN has estimated that about 1 million people have been detained in extrajudicial centers in Xinjiang, where they face beatings and sexual violence. Critics argue that these centers aim to indoctrinate Uyghurs and other minority ethnic groups in line with the Chinese Communist Party. According to The Guardian, the source of this news, the forced labor practices in Xinjiang are not limited to the detention camps and have significant ties to the cotton industry. How troubling is this, Linda? The news about the forced labor allegations in Xinjiang, China. It's like we're seeing a modern-day exploitation saga unfold right before our eyes. It is indeed deeply unsettling, Mark. The potential scale and severity of these allegations are alarming. These labor transfer programs, as Beijing calls them, are reportedly meant to alleviate poverty. But there's credible research suggesting that these schemes might not be entirely voluntary, which raises serious human rights concerns. Yeah, with the UN estimating about a million people are detained in these so-called vocational education and training centers, it's hard not to see some parallels with historic exploitation cases. Remember the diamond industry in Africa? Yes, Mark. Similarities do exist. Just as with the diamond industry, it's a complex issue because it's so intertwined with global supply chains. Many multinational corporations may inadvertently, and sometimes unknowingly, contribute to or benefit from these exploitative practices. The cotton industry in Xinjiang is a prime example. Right. I mean, with over 80% of China's cotton coming from Xinjiang, this issue potentially affects a lot of businesses. But then, how do corporations navigate this? What should they do to ensure they're not contributing to the problem? That's a tough one, Mark. It's a delicate balance, as companies need to maintain robust supply chains while upholding human rights standards. Corporate due diligence and audits play a crucial role in identifying and addressing potential human rights abuses. 
However, they are often challenged by the lack of transparency and the complex dynamics in regions such as Xinjiang. Hmm, it does sound like a daunting task, but it's one that can't be ignored. After all, we've seen how public opinion can turn against companies that are linked to exploitative practices. Consumers today are more conscious about the ethics of the products they use. Companies that fail to take this into account risk damaging their reputation and losing customer trust. It's not just about doing the right thing, it's also good business. Story number five. Chinese aggression against Taiwan has been escalating, as evidenced by the data compiled by Taiwanese nonprofit news organization, The Reporter. According to the Washington Post, China has been sending warplanes and warships to encircle Taiwan, including unmanned drones circling the island multiple times. Chinese aircraft carriers have also been stationed in the Pacific Ocean, launching jets towards Taiwan's east coast and practicing repelling potential U.S. intervention. The recent drills in September involved 17 warships, including an aircraft carrier, and stretched from the Philippine Sea to near Guam. I gotta tell you, Linda, these maneuvers by China around Taiwan, they're starting to feel like ominous thunderclouds on a clear day, don't they? I mean, sending drones all around Taiwan, even their aircraft carriers are making waves in what was traditionally U.S. military territory in the Pacific. It's like they're playing a high-stakes game of poker with the world watching. It's definitely concerning. But let's dive into it a bit deeper. The use of drones and warships isn't just about flexing military muscle. It's also about China testing the waters, literally and figuratively. They're assessing the responses of Taiwan, the U.S., and other key regional players. So you're saying, Linda, they're kinda... pushing the boundaries to see how far they can go before someone tells them to stop? Exactly. And it's not just about pushing boundaries. It's also about demonstrating capabilities. The fact that China sent a drone all around Taiwan is a significant message about their technological prowess and ability to maintain long-range operations. But doesn't this feel like deja vu? I mean, it's like we're seeing a rerun of the Cold War, only this time it's not the USSR, but China, huh? There are certainly parallels, Mark. But it's important to remember that we're in a different era and the dynamics have changed. During the Cold War, it was a bipolar world. Now we're in a multipolar world where several countries have significant influence. Plus, the role of technology and economic interdependence is far greater now. So what's the end game here, Linda? Are we heading towards a showdown of epic proportions, or can we uh, steer this ship towards calmer waters? The hope, Mark, is for a diplomatic resolution. But that will require understanding China's strategic goals, maintaining a strong defense, and working with allies. It's a complex situation, and there's no simple solution. But one thing is certain. This is a critical moment that could shape the future of the Western Pacific region, and indeed, global power dynamics. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.